The story of Joseph is very well known among us, especially from reading about it in our youth. But recently, I was reading, in my daily reading through the Psalms this past week, came across a passage that just caused me to scratch my head in, in puzzlement. It's something that I hadn't thought about in relation to Joseph before. And I don't know how many times I've read the psalm, but it really struck me. It's in Psalm 105, verses 17 through 19. Psalm 105, verse 17 says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The Word of the Lord tested him. The Word of the Lord tested him. What does that mean? How did that happen? Does that still happen today? Does the Word of the Lord test us? So I began to think about the story of Joseph and trying to figure out exactly what this phrase means. And I'd like to share with you this morning what I've learned from it and what I think God was letting us know here. Before we get into that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we lift you up because you are awesome and powerful and amazing. Your judgment is true and righteous and just. Father, we are so thankful that you're also merciful and that your loving kindness endures forever. We're thankful that in that mercy and that loving kindness you sent your Son to die for us providing us with exceeding precious promises of a home in heaven, of forgiveness, of adoption as sons and daughters. We are so amazed that you have provided us these blessings. And Father, we are thankful that you are always with us, no matter how dark the days get, no matter what we face, no matter what's going on, we know that you are there, guiding us, leading us on to a home in heaven with you. Help us to hang on, Father, and not to let go. Forgive us for the times that we have let go of you, and help us to get back on paths of righteousness to walk with you as our shepherd. It's through your Son that we pray. Amen. The Word tested him. To, to grasp this, let's begin by taking a look at the story of Joseph. Just a recap, a reminder for those of us who know it, perhaps it's new for some of us. In Genesis chapter 37, we see Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Jacob. And in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 2, we recognize that Joseph was 17 years of age and he was pasturing his father's flocks. And as we continue on in just a few verses, we find in verse 5 that Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheep. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow yourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Very interestingly, just at this point, we may not quite understand this, but we know the story. And we can look ahead and we can see this with perfect hindsight. We recognize that this dream was, in fact, the word of the Lord. 
God was promising Joseph through his dream that there was, in fact, going to be a time that his brothers, his father and his mother, were going to bow down before him. He was going to rule over them. He was going to reign over them. But what does it look like right now? That's just not very likely. Here's the 17-year-old, the second to the youngest in the family of, well, 13, when you count Dinah. How's this going to happen? And in fact, as we read the story, it looks less and less and less like this promise from God, like the Word of the Lord could possibly come true in Joseph's life. This text here pointed out that the brothers hated Joseph. And as we continue reading on in chapter 37, we know that they took him captive, they threw him in a pit, and then along came some Midianite traders in verse 28. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit, then sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph into Egypt. Joseph far from ruling over his brothers, are taken captive by his brothers and thrown in a pit. They're ruling over him. And then they send him as a slave down to Egypt. How do you think Joseph felt about that? What do you think Joseph thought? God had told Joseph, you're going to rule over your brothers. Your brothers are going to bow down before you. But instead of that happening, Joseph is sent tied up and gagged and bound to Egypt as a slave. It looked like God's promise wasn't going to come true. But we know that he got down to Egypt and things went well, at least I guess as well as it can go for a slave, and he became one of the lead slaves. And I really think that we should not put too much into that from an emotional standpoint because, let me just ask you, which would you rather be, the head slave or a free man? I mean, I recognize that I guess among slaves there's a blessing going on here, but Joseph is still a slave. But just about the moment when he could possibly say, all right, things are moving well, I'm going, things are going fine, God must be blessing me, all of a sudden Potiphar's wife turns her attention to him and starts trying to seduce him. And despite the fact that it had appeared that God had abandoned him and instead of keeping his word, sent him into slavery, Joseph maintained his integrity. But did God reward him for that? Well, it doesn't look like it at first, does it? We know that as we read the story in Genesis chapter 39, that he would not commit immorality with Potiphar's wife, and so she framed him and falsely accused him. And in verse 19, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. Now, how do you think Joseph felt about that? God had said, you're going to rule over your family. You're going to reign. They're going to bow down before you. But they've taken him captive. They've sold him into slavery. And just the moment it looked like things were starting to pick up, he's now been cast into prison. It kind of looks like the word of the Lord is not going to come to pass. And yet, Joseph remains faithful. And we know, of course, as we continue on in the chapter, that the cupbearer and the baker come along and they have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dream and he tells the cupbearer, would you please, when you get out of here, would you say something to Pharaoh? You're, you're going to be buying. Say something to him so that he can get me out of here because I, I shouldn't be here. And can you just imagine 
That first day, the cupbearer was released. As Joseph expected at any moment that someone was going to come in and say, you've been released. The cupbearer talked to Pharaoh and now you get to go free. And it didn't happen. And on the second day, and it didn't happen. And on the third day, and it still didn't happen. And days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months possibly into years. And Joseph realizes at some point in there, if the cupbearer even remembered to say anything about me, it didn't do any good. And years ago, I remember having a dream, but maybe that just didn't mean much. I thought it was God telling you something, but maybe it was just a dream. And then, lo and behold, one day, out of the blue, somebody comes into the cell and says, Joseph, the Pharaoh needs you. He's had a dream. And his cupbearer finally remembered to say something to him about you. And in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph interprets the dream about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And what the Pharaoh realizes and Joseph realizes is that somebody needs to be set up during the seven years of plenty to stockpile and prepare for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh does what is exactly natural. Here's a fellow that can interpret dreams. I think this ought to be the man. And in verse 38 of Genesis 41, Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And in verse 46, I want you to notice. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Remember, this all started when he was 17. I mean, it's easy for us to read through the story of Joseph, and it just takes a couple of chapters, and it seems like it was just one, two, three, four, and, and all these things happened, and it may have taken a year or two, but in reality, it was 13 years from the moment he had the dream until he finally becomes ruler in the land. And if you think about it, it's actually another seven years plus before the brothers come back down to Egypt. And the word of the Lord truly comes to pass. We're looking at 20 plus years. The word of the Lord had come to Joseph and said, your brothers will bow down before you. You'll reign over your family. And it took more than 20 years for the word of the Lord to come to pass. And within that 20 years, Joseph went through some of the darkest, most despairing days of his life. You see, the word of the Lord was testing him. The word of the Lord had come to him and said, this is what's going to happen. But not yet. Would Joseph hang on to what the word of the Lord had promised? Or would he become distracted and discouraged by all the things that were going on in his life around him? Tested by the Word. 
I want you to think about what this means. This, this concept of testing. Really, this word is used in two different ways. This word is, is really a metallurgical word. It's something that the silversmiths would do as they would test the metal or the goldsmiths. They would, they would test the metal. And there is a sense in which it is a testing in which they want to see how pure the metal is and how good it's going to be to be used for various and sundry items of silver and gold and precious metals. And you have any idea how they would have to test the metal? You couldn't just look like, like I've got this ring here. You can't just look at it and tell how pure it is. I mean, as far as you can tell, it's a gold ring. It looks just like any other gold ring. You know what you have to do to it? You have to put it over a fire. You have to heat it up. You have to put it through adversity. And when that is done, and as the metal melts, then the impurities will rise to the top, and they can test the metal to see how pure it is. You see, adversity happens in our lives. We are tested by the Word of God. Joseph was tested by the Word of God to see the kind of character he had. I guess it's true that adversity can develop character, but in most places, adversity merely reveals character. It brings the impurities to the top. Testing where we were. Joseph was tested. Will he hang on to the Word? Will he maintain faithfulness to God because of the promise that God has given him? Or will he turn his back on God as it looks as though God is not going to keep His Word? Testing. But then there's a second sense in which this is used, and that's the sense of refining. It's tested, it's heated up, the impurities come to the top, and it's refined. Because once those impurities come to the top, guess what can happen? They can be scraped off. And the metal can be purified. Refined. In fact, if you look in Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 3. In Romans chapter 5 and beginning at verse 3, Paul wrote, Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What does Paul say? Paul says we exult in the promises of God and we exult in the tribulation that we endure on the way to the promises of God because that tribulation causes us to persevere. It's the tribulation that tests us, that challenges us, that lifts us up and causes us to persevere hanging on to the promises of God and because of that, that develops a proven character not an untested character, not a character that we think we might be able to do something with, but a proven character. And because we now have a proven character, we have hope because we know the love of God that has been demonstrated toward us. We have hope because of that proven character, because of the perseverance, and it began with the tribulation. You see, it's the tribulation, it's the adversity, it's the heat. The same heat that tests us to see how pure we are, that can refine us and purify us and make us more godly. And that's what happened to Joseph. As all this was taking place, this was not just an issue of Joseph was just an amazing man from his youth on. This is the fact that God was testing and purifying him. God was making Joseph into the exact kind of man he wanted him to be. And how did he accomplish it? He accomplished it through adversity, through testing. The testing of the Word. The Word had promised these things. 
but it looked like it wasn't going to come to pass. Here's what we need to understand. God does the same with us. God has made exceeding precious promises to us. God has promised us a home in heaven reserved for those who have faith in Him. God has promised that if we seek first His kingdom and righteousness, all these other things will be added to us. God has promised that He'll be with us, that He'll carry us through. And yet at times, have you ever felt like that just wasn't taking place? Have things ever gotten so bad that you thought God wasn't there? Have things ever gotten so bad that you thought maybe God had abandoned you, that maybe His promises couldn't come to pass? The Word of the Lord tests us. In those times, will we hang on to the Word, trusting God, realizing that it will come to pass? Or will we turn away? We need to learn these lessons from Joseph. Three lessons. No matter how bad it gets, God is still with us. Look in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 7. Where can I go from your Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. The psalmist says, it doesn't matter where I go. You know, there are days when it seems like we're walking in heaven on earth. Blessing just seems to be abounding and things seem to be going our way. And that's, oh, God is with me. But then there are days when it seems like we're making our bed in Sheol. And what the psalmist says is, God is still there. No matter how bad it gets, God is still there. We just need to understand, we just live in a bad world. But our God is there to carry us through. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 makes it abundantly clear. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, 5, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Joseph could hang on as a slave, as a prisoner, because he understood God is my helper, they can't really hurt me. I mean, what's the worst they can do? Enslave me. What's the worst they can do? Imprison me. But God is still with me. And I'm hanging on to His promises because they can't change that. The second lesson that we need to learn is that no matter how bad it gets, God, God's promises will come true. Look at Joseph. He had said, you're going to rule. You're going to reign over your family. But the very next thing that happened is his family took him captive, ruling and reigning over him, throwing him into a fit, and he didn't do anything about it. Selling him as a slave, and he couldn't stop it. And eventually imprisoned. But in the end, what happened? God's promises came 
true. We need to remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 6.18, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We, have taken re- we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. No matter what's going on, we need to understand that God can't lie. If God has said He's going to provide redemption through the blood of His Son, then He's going to do it. If God has said that He's got a home waiting for us in heaven, then He's going to do it. God's promises come true. That doesn't mean that they come true on our time. They come true in His time. Between the promise being given and the promise being received, the Word of the Lord will test us. Are we going to hang on to those promises? Or when God doesn't do it in our time, are we going to turn our back on it? We need to learn from Joseph that no matter how bad it gets, God keeps His promises. And the third thing, no matter how bad it gets, God will work everything out for good for those who love Him. I can't help but think about what happened at the very end of the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. His father had died, and the brothers were certain that at this time, Joseph was going to take his opportunity to seek vengeance upon them. And so they come and they beg for mercy. And Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 in verse 19, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Do you think when Joseph was sitting in that pit that he saw, I know what this is about. This is the way that God is going to preserve His people and develop them into a great nation. You think that when they pulled him out and they sold him to the Midianite traders, he was saying, hey, that's okay, guys, because you know what? I, I can tell what's going to happen. I, I'm going to go into Egypt, and I'm going to end up being second in command, and I'm going to be there. When y'all are going through the famine, I'll be there, and I'll be feeding, and everything will be all right. And when Joseph was cast in prison, do you think he thought, you know what? I can tell what's happening here. God is lifting me up to be ruler in Egypt so that I can take care of my family when the famine comes. Of course not. Joseph didn't know that, but God knew that. We can't see the ends. We can't see what God is going to do with these little things that happen to us, and sometimes even the big things that happen to us throughout the years. But God can. And God knows exactly how to work all of it together so that it will accomplish the greatest good for those who love Him. Look in Romans chapter 8. You want to talk about an amazingly powerful God. And brethren, I'm not spiritually mature enough to understand how God does this. I just know that He does. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I want you to think about this, brethren. If God could take Joseph being enslaved and imprisoned and turn it into something that would preserve His special people so that His Messiah could come through them, then God can take the dark and terrible things that happen in our lives and cause them to come together for good in the end 
so that our souls might be preserved and eternally saved. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what loss you suffer, no matter what terrible things you endure, we've got to understand this. God is with us. God's promises will come true and God will work things together for good for us. And we hang on to His promises, loving Him, marching resolutely toward a home that He has promised us in heaven. Tested by the Word. We're being tested. Will we hang on? No matter how bad it gets. Or will we turn our backs on God and let go of the promises that He's given? It's really our choice. Let me encourage you, no matter how bad it gets, hang on.